Welcome to Stay and Fight, a podcast about extraordinary Illinoisans who have made profound impacts in their communities and who, despite all the issues with this state, are dedicated to staying here and fighting for its future. I'm Matt Paprocki, the president of the Illinois Policy Institute. And today we're talking to the leaders of the Janus versus AFSCME case, a pivotal United States Supreme Court ruling that changed the very core of government unions. Five years ago, on June 27, 2018, the Supreme Court justices issued a landmark ruling that freed government workers from having to pay for union fees as a condition of their employment. Today, we commemorate the five-year anniversary of this victory and explore the impact it's had. I'm joined by Miley Smith, Senior Director of Labor Policy and Staff Attorney for the Illinois Policy Institute. Jacob Hubert, President of the Liberty Justice Center and co-counsel on the lawsuit. And Mark Janis himself, plaintiff and former Illinois state worker. The world looks different than it did five years ago, and that's thanks to these individuals. Let's get started. This was a monumental case and one that people have been waiting for for a long time. Let's talk about how we got to this landmark decision. Mark, what was your experience as a state worker, and why did you feel your rights were being infringed? Well, Matt, thank you. Um, it all started with uh, basically my first paycheck. And I saw a line item deduction right along with my taxes and other items that said union dues. And I never signed up for a union. I never signed a pledge card. Uh, nobody ever talked to me about the union. And of course, I started inquiring and found out that if you work for the state of Illinois and you want to work for the state of Illinois, you have to pay the union. And it was what they call an agency fee. Uh, it goes by a lot of different names, and I just didn't think it was right. Um, but I didn't know what to do about it, so I just kind of forgot about it for a while. Well, then down the road, I saw that the union was advocating for some policies and a number of other things that I just couldn't stomach and didn't agree with. Um, and so I did some more investigation and I found, uh, Jacob and Liberty Justice Center and they said they could help me. And we thought we might have a court case and a fight. Um, so we filed a court case and of course now the rest is history, uh, that we had that monumental decision, uh, that, uh, basically was right to work for public sector employees, uh, all across the nation, roughly about five and a half million at the time of the decision. So, so let's get this straight. So, you, if you decide you want a job at the Department of Motor Vehicles, right? You you get a job there. You automatically were forced to pay union dues just because you had the luxury of working Correct. for the DMV. Correct. And because I was my title was considered a union covered job, and it was you know the contract with the the union and the state of Illinois. Um, and quite frankly, I, f I felt very much like an ATM machine. You know, they just kept taking the money out of my paycheck, uh, you know, for quite a few years, you know, until we got the decision. And, and then, of course, it stopped. Um, and, and I just didn't think it was right because I think we all have to agree that there are a lot of things that we do that we make individual decisions on. And that is uh, from, you know, what, what uh, you know, foods we, you know, purchase at the store. Uh, you know, where we go to a restaurant, uh, so many other things that are guaranteed, you know, by the Constitution and, of course, the Bill of Rights. And, of course, this, according to the union, was not one of them. They just said, look, you got to pay. You want to 
you want a job, you got to pay us, you know, and I just didn't think it was right. Which is, you know, fascinating because you always hear about, you know, Upton Sinclair writes the jungle and you hear about these these atrocities that are happening in the meat packaging industry. So the unions come together and uh, they create better safety standards. But again, there, there was never a, a great fire at the DMV that said, OK, well, public sector unions should all come together and uh, now we can address this issue. Right. Like that just didn't exist. Well, I, th- I think part of it, Matt, is that what you saw with today's unions is a lot of what they claim they fight for you, you know, wages, benefits, et cetera. A lot of this is now codified in federal and state statutes. And so what do they have left to to argue or or contract and, and negotiate on? And the minutia of what they put into play, quite frankly, in my opinion, is killing the efficiency of government and the efficiency of providing services to the constituents and the taxpayer. And I think one thing that a lot of people forget about is that union employees are taxpayers. So whatever the the, the union advocates for has to be paid for somehow. And therefore, the taxpayers wind up footing the bill for it. Well, who is a taxpayer? the individual union members. And I just don't think they understand that. And and there's a lot of, of discussion in that regard. That's right. Jacob, as co-counsel in this lawsuit, why was it clear that this was going to be a meaningful case? Well, back in 1977, the Supreme Court said that it was okay for governments to make their employees give these to a union. And that didn't make any sense at the time, but that was the law for decades. But then, starting uh, in the 2010s, the Supreme Court started giving some pretty clear signals that it was uh, reconsidering that, that it recognized that that decision didn't make any sense. And so uh, we and others started looking for opportunities to put this issue in front of the court. And of course, in Illinois, that started with our governor at the time, Bruce Rauner, who brought a lawsuit after he became governor to uh, challenge this practice of forcing people to pay fees. But it became clear pretty quickly that that lawsuit wasn't going to work because the courts were going to say, well, governor you're not forced to pay these fees, so why should you be allowed to challenge them? Uh, We recognized that that was heading that way, and so we reached out to people across the state who were affected by this, including Mark Janus, and, uh, and were able to quickly step into that lawsuit to allow it to go forward. And, uh, we were, the, the Supreme Court, precedent against it was still against us at that time. The Supreme Court precedent said that these fees were okay. And so we were able to move this very quickly up to the U.S. Supreme Court because we could say to the federal trial court, yep, president, precedent's against us. Uh, you're going to have to dismiss us and let us go up and then go to the U.S. Court of Appeals and say that. And then very quickly, we could go to the U.S. Supreme Court with this. And it, it was a really extraordinary situation, not only because uh, we'd had those signals from the courts in other cases, but because uh, in the meantime, uh, while we brought this suit, the court heard another case. It was brought by a California teacher named Rebecca Friedrichs, who didn't like what her teacher's union was doing with the money she was forced to pay. And her case went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the court heard arguments on that. 
And then before the court could issue a decision, uh, Justice Scalia uh, unfortunately died, and the court ended that case with a 4-4 tie vote, which meant nothing changed. But something did change in as much as then we all knew that there were four votes on that Supreme Court to overturn that old precedent and to rule in favor of government employees like Mark, who didn't want to pay fees to a union and support uh, the union's advocacy. And so it was an extraordinary uh, position to be in, asking the Supreme Court to take your case, because you already know they're interested in this issue. You already know there are four justices who want to vote for your side. And so we could be a lot more confident than usual that the court there was a good chance that the court would take this case. You know, normally in constitutional litigation, you have no idea because the court takes so few cases every year. But here was one where we could be pretty confident, and we asked the court to take it uh, at the beginning of the summer of 20, uh, 2017. And at the end of that summer, when the justices came back from their summer break, they took up this case. And the fact that they would take it... Uh, was a pretty strong signal that this was going to be an important uh, case because why take it if you didn't have that fifth vote to overturn that precedent? And so that's the position we were in and why we knew that this case was very likely to be a big deal. So so Mark and Jacob, you were both in, in, a, in a foreign position for most of us. You, Jacob, you were, you were co-counsel on a case that went in front of the Supreme Court and you won. And, and Mark, uh, people regularly use your last name in standard conversation <laughs> about the Janus decision. What was it, for both of you, what was it like to be a part of a case and winning a case that had this big of an impact? Well, it was, quite frankly, uh, on a personal level, it was quite overwhelming. Um, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of an average guy from originally from Springfield, Illinois. And here I am sitting in a Supreme Court courtroom. You know, Justice Roberts calls the case with my name at it. I mean, who else? Who else wouldn't be intimidated and and uh, and the like? And uh, it, it, quite frankly, was just quite frankly overwhelming. Um, but as the arguments, you know, played out um, and the like, it was just uh, I could see where the direction was kind of seemed to be going. But being a non-lawyer and a neophyte, I had no idea. Uh, quite frankly. Yeah, it really is a sort of a surreal experience to go to the Supreme Court uh, and hear them consider your case like that. You know, it starts where you have an idea for a case, you know what you want the court to do, and you sit here, I, I sit here at my desk and I just, you know, type up my little papers and send them into the court and hope for the best. And it's just, you know, it's our little thing when it starts. Uh, and then to get to the point where you're in front of these Supreme Court justices, these people whose names everybody knows, the people uh, we talk about all the time when we talk about constitutional law, when we talk about the direction the country is going to be going in important respects, uh, suddenly they're talking about all these things uh, that we had put together a year or two earlier. And uh, that really is uh, a, a, an extraordinary experience. Uh, and just to just to be there for the argument, just to have it talked about at all, and then to go back when it's time for the decision and to hear, in this case, Justice Alito read out that decision, read out the facts of this case, read out Mark's story, and then 
uh, in saying what the court is doing, uh, do everything that we ask them to do exactly in the best way possible. Uh, that's an incredible experience that's uh, probably going to be hard to top. I hope we can match it at some point, but it'll certainly be hard to top uh, because the court got it so exactly right in this case. And when you do constitutional litigation, public interest litigation, you bring uh, so many, you, you bring lots of cases and you know you're going to lose a bunch of them. You know that even if you win, it's not likely to be a Supreme Court win because they take so few cases. So when you get one like this that goes uh, all the way and then does exactly what you want for the entire country, affecting millions of people, uh, that's pretty gratifying. Yeah, I think that's the that's the amazing part of it all is that literally millions of people were affected, right? They found freedom that day to say, I don't need to be a part of this union. And I think, you know, part of the justice's decision was just the beginning of the conversation on if unions were inherently political. And so the ruling opened the door to, to new avenues, allowing workers to access and adopt their new rights. Let's, let's talk about the shifting political and legal landscape. Uh, Miley Smith, what were the implications of the Supreme Court decision for public sector union workers and their new options? Well, the bottom line is that they were then allowed to leave their government union and pay no dues, no fees. And we have seen public sector workers leaving their unions in the five years since Janus. Um, the caveat here is that union numbers are always hard to track. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out some reports, but they're based on surveys. So they're not exactly um, the most helpful for tracking union membership in Illinois. We could do FOIAs, like Freedom of Information Act requests. But ironically, the unions, after Janus, were able to get Illinois law changed so that we can get membership numbers from our government units anymore. Those are prohibited. Um, so what we tend to rely on are these forms called LM2s, and they are reports that the unions file with the Department of Labor every year. And we have looked at the six largest government unions in Illinois. And we have seen that in five of the six, they have all lost membership since 2017, that last full year before the Janus decision. We've, we've seen over 36,000 public sector workers stop paying fees or dues to their union. That's about 8.5% of government workers in Illinois. And some of these unions have seen drastic downturns. So AFSCME Council 31, which is the union that was representing Mark or supposedly representing his interests, they have seen an 18.5% downturn in their union members and, and fee payers. Um, another union in Illinois, Illinois Federation of Teachers, which that also encompasses Chicago Teachers Union, they have seen a 16.2% downturn in those that are wanting to be a part of the union or pay fees to the union. Um, and so this has been, I think, while we didn't see, you know, drastic 20% of people leaving their unions in the first year, what we have seen is year over year, more people are choosing not to be a part of their union for the reasons that Mark highlighted. Like they are inherently political. 
Um, and I know we're going to talk about a little bit later just some of the political implications that we've seen, but they really have solidified that that they are political machines and people don't like it. Um, that's the state of Illinois. We're also seeing that in public sector unions nationwide. So I mentioned AFSCME Council 31. They've seen nationwide a 12.2% a downturn in those that are willing to pay dues or fees to their unions. So what Janice, what the Janice decision did was free these public sector workers. They were able to then decide for themselves, union membership, paying fees was no longer a condition of employment like it was before. And they were able to decide, you know what? I like my job. I want to stay with my job. I don't want to pay a union. And so they have withdrawn their union membership. And and we have been assisting these workers ever since that decision. And, you know, week after week after week, we hear from public sector workers who are wanting to get out of their union um, and stop paying fees for what they see as inherently political activity. I, those numbers are huge. And when you think of, you know, 36,000 people who have left the union in the last five years, this is the equivalent to any baseball stadium in America. I mean, imagine walking into Wrigley Field. Uh, and seeing the place packed, everybody's hands up with people saying, I'm part of the public sector union and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. That's how many people have opted out. What does that what does that actually translate into, you know, the the government union's bottom line? How much money is that really? So we're talking at least to, if, if we conservatively estimate that those people are paying um, seven hundred dollars a year in dues, which again is a conservative estimate. We know that there are teachers who are spending upwards of $1,200 or more a year in dues. If we conservatively estimate 700, that equates to about $25.5 million year over year that the unions are not bringing in because these people have chosen not to pay the fees to the union because they disagree with that representation. Yes, yeah, so that's not just a, you know, over five years, $125 million out of the state of Illinois. You know, you're talking nationwide, and that's not money that just doesn't go into the unions. That's money that people have in their back pocket, right? That they can spend on their families. And, and why Mark fought for this in the first place, Jacob? What? Where do you see new frontiers opened up by this decision? Well, in any major Supreme Court decision uh, tends to not just be the end of an issue, but actually the beginning, in the sense that once the Supreme Court issues a decision like this. Uh, lower courts still have to apply it. They have to work out the implications. Uh, and you have to make sure that uh, governments follow it. And so there's been a lot to do in that respect in making sure that employees' rights actually are respected. Now, from day one, Janice had a huge impact because on day one, anyone who was not on record as a union member and was not paying union dues got out of paying dues or paying anything to the union. And so that by itself was huge. But there definitely is more to do uh, to follow up on this and to make the most of it. Uh, people have been uh, following up on different fronts. There have been challenges, for example, to unions' power to be the exclusive representative of employees. So uh, government employees who were forced to pay union fees before aren't forced to pay the fees but in those places, they are still forced to accept the union as their representative, supposedly speaking for them, bargaining for them, um, 
deciding uh, what their rights uh, with respect to their employment are going to be. And that, too, under, under the principles in Janus, should be a violation of freedom of association. We should be able to choose for ourselves who's going to speak for us. Another thing that's important is to make sure that when this government, uh, when an employer, a school district, a state agency uh, is taking un union dues from someone because they're on record as a union member, that that person actually did want to be a union member and understood that they had a right not to join. Recently at the Liberty Justice Center, uh, we represented a teacher at uh, Waukegan High School who started her job and uh, at the beginning of it was put into a meeting with a union representative and uh, among uh, you know, all the other things that were put in front of her, there's a union membership agreement. And no one told her that she didn't have to sign this thing. Uh, she actually recently just moved, come to this country from Spain, so didn't know anything about the constitutional rights, and nobody told her. So, you know, when you start a new job, lots of pieces of paper are put in front of you, and it was just one more, and she signed it. And then after the no one had told her one way or the other whether she had to. And then actually after the fact, a union representative told her, oh yeah, you, you know, you do, even if you're not a member, you do have to pay, which is, of course, the opposite of the truth under Janus. It's a lie. And so... Uh, we represented her in a lawsuit arguing that an employer like this shouldn't be taking anybody's money and giving it to a union until that government employer knows that that person actually knew their rights and chose to give up their right not to pay a union. And that's not just like an extension of Janice that we're seeking. That's actually in Janice. Janice itself says... Uh, you can't take money from somebody unless you have clear and compelling evidence that they consented to do it, that they waived their constitutional rights. Well, if you're going to waive your constitutional rights in any other context, you need to know them. So we're working to get court decisions that say that, well, Janice meant what it said, and you can't take people's money unless you know that they knew their rights and they chose to give them up. And we're pursuing that through lawsuits. There's also state governments that are trying to do that. In Alaska, for example, uh, they set it up. So they, they started a policy where everybody was going to be out of the union, not paying dues, unless they went uh, to the state or to their employer and said, uh, yes, I affirmatively choose to pay union dues, even though I have a right not to. And, of course, the unions have challenged this. Uh, unfortunately, the Alaska Supreme Court recently sided with the unions on this. So uh, Alaska is going to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to take that up. And that should be an easy case. These, the state like that is, is just making sure that it's not taking money from people who don't want to pay. And other states uh, are moving in that direction, too. Indiana has set up a similar thing that's in the courts now. Uh, so uh, that really is the next frontier on this, the, the very simple idea that people should have a real choice, which requires them to know their rights. And unfortunately, polls have showed that many people, many uh, government school teachers, for example, they don't know about the Janus decision. They don't know about their rights. Somebody has to tell them. Uh, so that's the, the especially important fight right now. And we're looking for more 
government employees across the country to represent people who signed up unwittingly, uh, didn't know their rights and want to get out. Uh, we're looking to represent people like that. It's, it's fascinating that you have to pursue litigation to enforce uh, a decision that was made by, by the United States Supreme Court. Right. It's like this never ending trail of constantly having to pursue uh, Matt, that. I think it's also important to note that on the day of the decision, the state of California and Governor Brown <clears throat> signed legislation that said if a, if an employee goes to their boss and says, hey, I heard about this Janice decision. Um, you know, what about it? And, uh, you know, I want to get out by California state law the boss or the supervisor is not allowed to talk to them. They're saying, oh, you got to go talk to the union. Well, how do you think that's going to be when somebody says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, and then the, the other thing that's very positive, uh, you mentioned Indiana, Jacob, but here in Florida, um, they just signed legislation. I was at the bill signing with Governor DeSantis, uh, where the teachers and other public sector employees can no longer get their dues taken out of their paychecks. They have to physically write a check or make some arrangements to pay their dues. And of course, the unions are absolutely furious about this, and they've already started some litigation uh, here in Florida. Um, so I think that's a step in the right direction because they're giving each individual a choice to whether to join and pay the dues or not. I think that's a fascinating uh, commentary right there on if you're going to be upset because somebody has the free freedom to choose what they mm -hmm. want to do and then saying, you know, I, I'd rather force them, coerce them into uh, how they're going to spend their money, I think is, is a great representation of that. Mark, as somebody who has been a, a government employee, who somebody worked in there, what's your take? Are, are employees, you know, government employees, are they satisfied with the union? Well, I think... You know, to quote the numbers that Miley gave earlier, I'd have to say, no, they're not. Um, and that's evident by the number of people that are leaving. However, the unions have done a very, very good job uh, through legislation and other methods of preventing people from leaving the union. Um, I know, uh, I think there's some litigation going on now, I'm sure Jake quoted, um, where the union says, yes, you can resign send us a certified letter to a P.O. box. Then they turn around and change the P.O. box. The letter gets returned back to the uh, to the worker, and they call you in and say, hey, uh, how come you didn't uh, let me out of the union? He says, oh, we never got your letter. Well, if you change the P.O. box midstream, how, how are they going to get it? And that's just one of the tactics they, they use, uh, which is, to me, I think is just outright egregious by any stretch of the imagination. So right now we're at the we're at the five year anniversary of this of this landmark decision, and certainly the world looks different, right? People have the option uh, to opt out of their union to make that choice for themselves. What do all of you think that the world's going to look like in five years from now, and what do you think the most important battles are? And I'm going to start with uh, Miley. Yeah, how have how have government unions changed over the five years, both both nationally and in Illinois? You know, the unions say that there's power in numbers, right? And they're losing their numbers. So what we are seeing from government unions in particular is an effort to recoup and increase 
and really make permanent their power so they don't have to rely on however many members that they have in a given state. And here in Illinois, that has taken the form of a constitutional amendment, Amendment 1, um, which was enacted by voters in the fall of, of 2022. Um, what that amendment does is it, it makes collective bargaining a fundamental right for government unions. Um, it was framed as a workers' rights amendment, but what it really is is a government union power grab. It doesn't give government workers any more rights than they already had, but what it does is enshrine government union leadership power in our constitution. Um, it says that they can negotiate over virtually anything. So um, it added language to our constitution that government unions can negotiate over something called like um, economic welfare. Well, that's that's never been defined. It's never been a part of state or federal law. It's not a part of the National Labor Relations Act so that we could look to federal law to get some guidance. There's nothing out there. It could mean virtually anything. And, and even proponents acknowledge that during the lead up to the election that that really could mean anything can be in these government union contracts. Um, and then the amendment goes farther and says that our government leaders, our lawmakers can never diminish that right. So there's nothing that our lawmakers can do to clarify what this right means or clarify um, which employees that it applies to. Um, and then it, it bans right to work outright. So this really was a government union power grab to enshrine their power in our constitution. But it didn't stop here in Illinois. And that was something that we had been um, kind of proclaiming in the lead up to the election, that this was the test. Illinois was the test. And we now see unions in Pennsylvania and California attempting to get very, in Pennsylvania, it's the exact same language. In California, it's very similar language into their state constitution. So we see them legislatively trying to enshrine their power to protect it. Um, but we also see them doing this politically, right? And Chicago is a perfect example of this in the mayoral election. Um, Brandon Johnson, who is the new mayor in Chicago, uh, over 90% of his funding came from 27 unions. Um, over 50% was teachers unions. So what we saw was Chicago teachers union, he was one of their paid employees, handpick someone for the mayoral election and really pay to get him elected. And now they have control, not just over Chicago public schools where they have been really um, tanking it, <laughs> tanking proficiency and enrollment and all sorts of other things within Chicago public schools. Now they're running city government with one of their own. And I think this is the this is what other states need to, and other cities need to be watching for. Government unions, they don't just lose Janice, lose the Janice case and roll over. Like this is a continual fight and they are going, if they lose in the Supreme Court, they're going to find other ways to increase and make their, their power permanent um, and Illinois right now is the example, and other other states need to be watching for these types of moves in their in their cities and states. Well, there, I think there's few things uh, less concerning when you know the city of Chicago, which I live in, uh, one out of every five kids can read at grade level, and the response from the Chicago Teachers Union and all of this is, well, since we're doing such a great job, let's expand our role and uh, try to buy somebody into the mayoral office. Right. And like that, that becomes the concern. And when I look at this, I actually see something of, of desperation, right? That once you started giving people the option, 
do you want to join? And numbers start plummeting and dollar amounts go down. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing them say, well, how do I use politicians and use my, my role as a special interest group to coerce everybody to have to be a part of this again? And I, I think there's a huge concern there. Well, Matt, I think the other thing you have to look at is recently the Illinois Invest in Kids scholarship program was voted down in the legislature. Who was behind voting down that piece, you know, that, that program which provided low-income and minority students the ability to get a good education? It was primarily the teachers' union. Yet on the surface, they say, oh, we're here for the kids. We want to improve education. You know, we're here for the kids then why did they fight this scholarship program that would have helped kids, raised kids up, and given kids more opportunity across the board? That is about as hypocritical, I think, as you can get. Yeah, and the, and the program, the Investing Kids program, takes no public money. They actually just say there's a tax credit uh, that you receive if you want to donate to it. And the results are clear, right? There's 9,000 families who have said, Yes, let's pull my kids out of the the failing school they currently go to, uh, and send them to a school where they can thrive. And even more so, uh, there's forty thousand kids currently on the wait list right now, and their families saying these schools are not adequate for my kids. Let's give them an option. And the Chicago Teachers Union and uh, their role as a special interest group says, well, let's shut this down to make sure that these kids don't have that opportunity. Jacob, where do you see uh, the next legal battles uh, and lawsuits? And why are they important? Well, like I said, I think the most important lawsuits right now are the ones that make sure that people know their rights, uh, because so many people don't. So many people are tricked and trapped into union membership. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Mark talked about, well, they do, they do these tricks like they change the address where you need to send your resignation. Uh, you know, they and it's not only that, uh, they'll trap you in once you signed up. Well, it turns out it's a, say, a four-year agreement. And well, there's a week in August every four years where you could get yourself out of the union and stop paying those dues. Uh, there have been a lot of challenges to those kind of narrow windows to opt out. Uh, and uh, there's going to be more of them. And that's a very important issue uh, to stop people from doing this. And then, uh, of course, it's not just a, the decision isn't just about public sector unions. The decision is also about forcing people to give money for political advocacy they don't support. And uh, I, I think you'll also see new lawsuits expanding this into different areas where people are forced to give money for speech they don't agree with, students who are forced to support a student organization that goes out and engages in advocacy, businesses that are forced to give money to a group that does political advocacy. Uh, Janice is very important with respect to uh, public sector employees, but it, it can and should be uh, uh, important for other things too, so that nobody is forced to support ideas uh, that they personally don't want to support. So, so to wrap up uh, this entire conversation, uh, what else? What else do people not know about uh, the Janus decision? The impacts of this? What's happened so far? And I want to go through all of you. I'm going to start with Mark, go to Miley, and then Jacob. Uh, Mark, what else is? Well, there? I think as Jacob uh, has said, and also Miley, people don't know about their Janus rights, and quite frankly, I think Janus rights are equivalent to Miranda rights. Um, you know, which was set by the Supreme Court. 
And if people don't know what their rights are, how can they execute them and how can they, um, you know, use that to their advantage and make their own decision? And that's, quite frankly, the bottom line. Let them have freedom of choice, freedom of will, um, not let somebody else make a decision for you that you don't agree with. That's right. Miley, what else do we know? Yeah, we talk, like I said, with hundreds of government workers every year. And I think one of the questions that we hear most often is, what about my benefits? And along with knowing that they have a right to not be in the union and not pay the union, government workers need to know that they retain all of their benefits, even if they're not a member. So your employer as a government unit cannot treat you any differently than a member if you are not a member of the union. So you anything that is guaranteed in that in that contract you get so whether it's raises um seniority vacation days all of that is still guaranteed to you even if you're not a member you cannot be treated differently um and so we we repeat this a lot to government workers and we send out mailings about it so that they know one that they have a right to opt out and two they don't lose anything if they're not a member of the union um, and if, if there are government workers who are watching, there's more information about that on, on our opt-out website, which is leavemyunion.com. Thanks, Miley. Jacob, Yeah, I think another thing for uh, that people need to be more aware of, and I think are likely to be more aware of in the years ahead, uh, is the, uh, the power that these government unions have and how it is depriving them of the type of government that they are supposed to have. You know, the U.S. Constitution says we're guaranteed in the states a Republican form of government, and these union deals actually deprive people of that. For example, especially, by the way, when you have what you have in Illinois now where they can bargain over anything related to public policy. So, for example, you had the Chicago Teachers Union negotiate in its contract a moratorium on new charter schools in Chicago. Uh, and that's, so that's in their collective bargaining agreement. And under this new Amendment 1, nobody can touch that collective bargaining agreement. So if you, as a citizen, think more charter schools would be good for Chicago, you can't even go to, say, your state legislator and ask for legislation to authorize more charter schools. The union has already gotten together with Chicago Public Schools and decided that you can't have that. Uh, and that is is taking all in Illinois. Now you're taking all policymaking and putting it in the hands of these people, taking it out of the hands of voters. And so we can hope that voters will wake up to what's going on and, and push back against this. I'd say push back against it before it's too late. Well, it's a little bit late already because Amendment 1 was passed, but you can always repeal it and you can always express your displeasure with the office holders who are allowing this to go on. And uh, I think as we see the consequences of this uh, corrupt process, uh, people are going to become more aware of it. They are going to become fed up with it. And they're going to want to do something about it. In the meantime, we'll try to do something about that in the courts, too, to make sure that people in Chicago and elsewhere uh, do have the form of government that their constitution guarantees them and not government by public sector union. That's right. And I think from what all of you said is the, the fight continues, right? So five years ago, 
the Janus decision changed our country and it changed how people's relationship was government workers uh, with their unions. And they finally had the freedom to opt out for millions of them. And so far, we've seen hundreds of thousands of people who have been able to walk away from a union that they disagree with and have that freedom. But what we've seen on the other side is that uh, the unions, government unions will continue to fight back and they will look for ways to pass laws through litigation to exercise more power through all of our rights. Uh, but together, if we continue to fight, we have an opportunity uh, to lessen the role of government inside of our lives and, and increase the role of individual freedom and prosperity. So I want to thank uh, Mark Janice, Miley Smith, and Jacob Hubert for being with us today. And thank you for all of your work uh, for what led to the Janice versus AFSCME case. And on behalf of the hundreds of thousands of people who have freedom, uh, thank you. And thank you all for joining us on Stay and Fight. We'll see you next time.